When will Derek Chisora learn some manners? Answer me this, answer me this. Can you make your lips thinner than Kenneth Branagh's? Answer me this, answer me this. Helen and Ollie, answer me this. We open the episode in a bath full of shame because a gap in our knowledge has been discovered. Outrageous. By a listener called Lorelei, who says, I was just listening to podcast 222 and was dismayed that your exhaustive Battersea Power Station research didn't unearth the fact that Death Leopard filmed a video there. That's right, the video to Rock of Ages. It's very presumptuous of her, isn't it, to presume that uh, the research didn't unearth that fact rather than I may have chosen not to mention that fact because it's not that interesting. All in the editing. <laughs> Lorelei quotes the lead singer of Death Leopard, Joe Elliott, who said, We got on well with Duran, as in Duran Duran, but they're on first name terms. <laughs> <laughs> but we were jealous of them because they shot videos on yachts with beautiful suits and women covered in war paint. We did ours in Battersea Power Station and our women were caged. <laughs> That's a good Aww. quote. If you filmed a video now at Battersea Power Station, you would definitely play up the fact that it was at Battersea Power Station, yeah, wouldn't you? There's nothing in that video to suggest that it's in Battersea Power Station. No. It, it could just be in a studio. They're using it as a studio space, yes. effectively. I suppose that was all it was good for in the 80s. But what you do now with the roof off is at the end you'd have one of those helicopter mm. shots when you to reveal that the band all along had been in Battersea. That's an expensive shot though, unless you can just uh, buy it from the people that shoot The Apprentice uh, helicopter shots of London. What, and just computer generate Def Leppard? Into yeah. <laughs> I think they were Diana's favourite band. Really? I, I weirdly have a flashback to Andy Crane in the broom cupboard saying that Princess Diana's favourite band was Def Leppard. That was probably like the time in the early noughties where everyone said, oh yeah, my favourite band is Coldplay. Because that was just the band. Just the thing you say. It was the acceptable band to have as your favourite band. Who is that band now? Because it was Arctic Monkeys. Yes. But now, if David Cameron was asked now, who would... Probably Adele. Yes. Wouldn't say band at all, would you say Adele? Adele's the new Def Leppard. Who <laughs> knew? <laughs> well, here's a question from Lee from Boreham Wood, where, as a child, I went to see Top of the Pops being filmed numerous times. Wow. Yep. Touch Live of in showbiz. the dream. Uh, he says, I am 16 and compiling my CV for a summer job to get some money. Summer jobs <laughs> happen so fast. <laughs> when I was 10, I got a Blue Peter badge. Good for you, Lee. Uh, which I personally feel is somewhat noteworthy. Hell yes. However, my dad thinks it will just make me seem immature and therefore less employable. Are you applying to be the head of Barclays? <laughs> so, Helen, answer me this. Should I put it on my CV or not? P.S. I got it for starring in a school play as Doctor Who, if this helps you in any way. Oh, well, then it does, because then you could list amongst your extracurriculars the fact that you uh, do drama... And you could note that your dramatic abilities had been rewarded in this way with a Blue Peter badge. Don't lead with the Blue Peter badge, though. Yeah, I just wouldn't mention it in the top half of the CV. On the, on the A4, you put it in the bottom half. Maybe under rewards and qualifications. Yes, that's a good idea. <laughs> Bullet point, Blue Peter badge. For drama. Yeah, yeah. okay, so yeah, that makes it sound more official somehow. But would you actually pay attention to anything else you'd done at 10? Well, but this is the issue of CVs generally, isn't it? And when you're 16, it's not very fair because you haven't got... 10 yeah. years worth of uh, shattered dreams to put on your CV. Exactly. What do you put on a CV when you're 16? That is always the tough one. You basically have to lie, don't you? Four years at Deloitte. Good good, <laughs> good phone manner. I'll tell you what the 16-year-old Helen Zaltzman would have definitely done correctly on her CV. Mm. She would have put curriculum vitae and she'd have spelt it correctly. Yeah. I, I, had, I had that and spelt it incorrectly for ages. It That's was pointed awkward. out to me when I was about 20. V-I-T-A-E? No, not that bit, the curriculum oh. bit. That's like the other day when you asked me how to spell encyclopedia because you were doing a tweet and it wasn't auto-correcting it properly. 
And uh, so I spelled it out for you, but then you spelled Britannica wrong anyway. <laughs> ah! I don't really remember having a CV when I was that age. Because it's going to be empty, there's no point. Well, if you're being fast-tracked at Tiggy's Stainless Fasteners, then no. <laughs> you don't need a CV. Your, your CV is basically no criminal convictions. <laughs> do you think that uh, alluding to Blue Peter for employers is a turn-off, even if you do need to pad a CV? No. I think, well, it depends what the job is, but I think certainly if I was employing a 16-year-old, I'd find it highly amusing and interesting that they'd been awarded a Blue Peter badge. And, and probably, I, if you get through to interview stage, the employer is probably looking for angles and things to ask you about because really they just want to suss whether you're a decent kind of person. However, if it is just a shelf-stacking job, then all they want to know is that you're not going to go mad with boredom. Yes, I still. Yeah, but they're not going to discount you because you. Do you think? Oh, he's overqualified. He's got a blue peter badge. Hello, it's Ben from Ipswich. Uh, Helen and Ollie answered me this. My son and I had a bit of a to do the other day about the way I eat crisps. Um, when I get to the end of a bag of crisps, or almost at the end, I tip up the bag and I eat what I refer to as drink the crumbs. And apparently, my 11-year-old son considers this terribly rude. And I should pour the crisps into my hand and then sort of pour my hand into my mouth or do some such like that. Um, I've always eaten crisps by drinking the remnants at the end of the bag. I don't consider myself to be particularly rude, but Helen and Ollie answer me this. Is that rude? Is that the correct way to finish off a bag of crisps? It astonishes me, listeners, the things that you allow to come between you and the people who are most close to you in life. We get <laughs> spouses writing to us saying, who is right? Do we keep the washing machine door open or shut? Do you keep the eggs in the fridge or out the fridge? None of this is worth the rifts. That's right. The children of the future, Ben. You know, I mean, if you have to come to some kind of reconciliation, just do it. Why would your son think that eating crisps out the palm of your own hand is any more dignified yeah. than just tipping a bag into your mouth? The thing is, crisps, they're an informal food stuff anyway That's right. aren't they if you can't eat it with a knife and fork then a bit of play is allowed it's like people complaining if you put your tongue through the center of an onion ring i mean yes <laughs> That's, that may not be good etiquette but it's a deep fried onion in the shape of a ring it doesn't oh. matter how you eat that said ben at the end of the day uh, i imagine you're paying for the crisps in yes. this scenario <laughs> so you can eat it however you put the food on your table you can choose to eat the food off that table or way off that table shoved down your face like a massive pig however you like <laughs> are there any families listening that do eat out of troughs just because they fancy it i've never seen that done even in the most slovenly depictions of american families i've never seen them actually having tv dinners to the point where it's actually a communal trough i'm sure that there is a theme restaurant where that happens <laughs> That would be quite good, actually. No. No, not if you no. actually had to. No, not if you actually had to put your face in it. No, but if, <laughs> but if it was themed around a farmyard, and you had a trough in front of you with a knife and fork. My answer's still no. Stainless steel, yeah. That's actually further clean. away from from the trough yes. theme. Yes, it is. Seems, yeah, it's trough mad. symbolism, Helen. In the same way that the Rainforest Cafe isn't actually in Brazil. I do think, though, if you are quaffing back crisps, uh, you do have to give some regard to the shape of the crisp well because, I think he's talking splinters well yes but even a semi-fragmented shard of a knickknack could do some damage if it went down at the wrong angle that's oh, all I'm saying or into the eye yeah, exactly so Ben's son is actually possibly more safety conscious than Ben even exactly. though Ben is supposed to be the responsible adult here's a question from Paul who says uh, I have one of those jobs that often requires a commute by plane he's an international terrorist uh, he's a pilot <laughs> right <yeah. laughs> so Ollie answer me this why is it that you only ever see people order a bloody Mary on a plane 
Because you're only ever on a plane, Paul. That must be the only reasonable explanation. What's he on about? Wherever you go, people are ordering Bloody Marys. Here, here are things that you only see on a plane. High Life magazine. Tiny little packets of pretzels with only three pretzels in. Complimentary socks. Those toilets that go... Whoosh. Yeah, and suck your ass off when you flush. That you only see on a plane. Uh, mm-hmm. Bloody Mary, absolutely everywhere. I suppose that a lot of people might have a Bloody Mary on a plane when they wouldn't on the ground because it's quite strong flavour, so mm. it overcomes the deadening of the senses caused by the aeroplane. It's also a long cocktail. Uh, I think if you were to have like a martini or something uh, in one of those like plastic beakers, assuming you're not in first class. <laughs> oh, flight attendant, I'm sorry, I asked you just to show it the vermouth. <laughs> You've got a question. Email your question to answer me this podcast at googlemail.com Answer me this podcast at googlemail.com Here's a question from John now who says My girlfriend is returning from holiday in a couple of weeks and I'm going to surprise her at the airport when she gets back With a massive machete <laughs> by, by introducing her to my new wife <laughs> uh, We've been together for over two years so I'm pretty sure that this is going to be a good surprise It's meant to be a good surprise if you've been going out for a month I think it's a better surprise if you've been going out for a month because after two years she's probably half expecting you to be there, John Isn't that the When Harry Met Sally thing? You never pick me up from the airport anymore That's what happened if you start picking someone up from the airport when your relationship is fresh then it's just a matter of complaint when the relationship's gone downhill I never expect anyone to pick me up from an airport there's a lot of time out there day my girlfriend works you know what I expect to pick me up from the airport the minicab that I prepaid for yeah well that's very that was two years ago I'm still angry Uh, anyway Helen answer me this do you have any ideas how I should do this or what I should do definitely go to the correct airport and the correct terminal if she's coming back from a very far flung place I think you could bring along some things that she may have missed on her holiday Day. I mean, when I arrive, I always want a coffee, a British newspaper, uh, maybe some Percy Pigs from the MS Simply Food. Okay, but not things like a full meal that you've cooked that you'd then have to eat standing <laughs> in the arrivals. Her cat. <laughs> no. Stuff, that, home comforts that she may have missed that are available in the airport that she might, you know, be choosing to buy anyway, but they can be there waiting for her when she arrives. A balloon is always nice, isn't it? A balloon? It? Yeah. No. Yes, it because is. Because then you've got to travel with it and she's probably already got stuff she has to carry. No balloons, no. Just make sure you get there early because a few weeks go I thought I'll surprise Martin when he gets back from a trip to Leipzig I'll turn up at Gatwick I got there about five minutes after he'd left because he bloody got through early <laughs> I appreciated the gesture yeah. did you? you appreciated the fail gesture yeah no I thought that was still very romantic maybe right. more so because it was a bit <laughs> I don't. I genuinely do not see the romance of, and I'm not criticising you because other people see it I just don't I see thought, what the big deal the is the thing is though if the other person sees it that's when you should do it not if you yourself see it yes yeah 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 there's no romance if you just want to travel home maybe listen to some podcasts have a read mm. eat your Percy pigs. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing you can do is you can get those announcements on the screen. Yeah. You know, the, my friend Che, when we came back from our gap year in Africa, his parents had done that for him. Oh, that's sweet. What it did they say? Nice. Welcome home, Ollie and Che. Although they, this, this a bit sad, his grandmother died whilst we were away yeah. and they hadn't wanted to tell him because they hadn't want to ruin our gap year. I didn't know, of course. But looking back on it, I realised that the whole car journey home, they were just waiting for me to fuck off so that they could tell their oh. son that his grandmother had died. Mm, okay. Yeah, yeah. But actually, I think that's probably the right decision because it would have ruined his gap period. He would have, he probably would have felt obliged to come home and they didn't really want him to do that because she'd already died suddenly. Didn't put that on the message board, obviously. Welcome home, you're not dead. <laughs> <laughs> Although that would have got the message out there, wouldn't it? Would have yeah. done it in a very swift way. Yeah, very, very direct. Mm. And in the time between baggage and the arrivals, he might have had... 
time to deal with it yeah Yeah. i think that's a mourning period (laughs) no again i think they they made the right decision in the long run my mum had a car accident two weeks after we got back from honeymoon and she kept saying things like it's it's so lucky that didn't happen while you're away because of course we wouldn't have been able to tell you (laughs) what if i died it would have been so awkward wouldn't want to spoil your holiday how terribly awkward that would have been well actually that is exactly what happened to the queen isn't it she was, I don't think yeah. she was on honeymoon, but she was on holiday, wasn't she, in Kenya on a safari really? when her dad died. Ooh. And she only found out because he was the king. News got out. Yeah, but news didn't get out for about 24 hours, I think. Yeah. And of course, with her, the news wasn't just that her father had died, but she's that she's going to be the queen. Got yeah. a promotion. <laughs> That's tough. That's <laughs> tough when you're on holiday. Yeah, because mm. you don't want to have to come back and be plunged straight into work. No. Although exactly. that happened as well when we were on honeymoon. Martin came back and immediately started a new job. Martin Orswick, queen of physics. <laughs> yo, yo, one love. The best thing about tennis is the a women's tennis, a women's tennis. Hearing those ladies all going it makes me go in my pants. New balls, please. There are our tribute to Wimbledon there. That incredible <laughs> piece of music that you just heard, listeners, was by way of an advertisement for the Answer Me This Sports Day long player, which is out now on iTunes and the various Amazons of the world if you would like to seek it out. And here is talking about our most beloved of subjects, sport. <laughs> That's right. Well, enough of you have bought it to make it the UK's number one comedy album. Yay! So big, big thanks for that. Yes. If, if you would like to buy it or find out more, head to our website, specifically the page at... AnswerMeThisPodcast.com slash SportsDay. And the album is full of questions about sport. But here is a question of sport that is not on the album. It's from Matt from Coventry, who says, When the Olympic Games started... All of the athletes competed for pride and not prizes or fame. I bet they did slightly compete for fame. Yeah. You can't take that out of it, can you? Look, Mum, I won. Aren't you proud? Have you got your picture on a vase? No. (laughs) Don't care. (laughs) But Ollie, answer me this, says Matt. Which was the first Olympics to give out gold, silver and bronze medals? 1904. Great year for medals, wasn't it? Because at the ancient Olympics, there was only one winner per event. They didn't do the the 3-2-1 thing. Right. Uh, And uh, the winner was crowned with a wreath made of wild olive leaves. Oh, that sounds nice. but Sounds rubbish. Not very enduring. Exactly. You can't go and give a lecture at Deutsche Bank 40 years later and pass round rotting olive leaves with creatures living in it. Well, actually, you probably could, but everyone would think you're just being delightfully eccentric. Or, or making some kind of metaphor for the banking crisis. It's rotten. Um, then at the inaugural modern Olympics in 1896, they recognised that uh, there should be runner-up prizes. Wow, so it took millennia to come up with the one to three configuration. Well, yeah, but, you know, not, there hadn't been Olympics in the period in between. Oh, right. Um, uh, so the, uh, there, interestingly, the winner got silver, not gold wow and bronze was oh. given to the runner-up and then gold to the other runner-up no there was no gold no at all gold. Yeah. Is that because it was too expensive to squander on a medal maybe well, i think it just took them a while to come around to the idea that gold silver and bronze would be a clever way to doing it because then four years later in 1900 where you'd think okay that's the year that's the year they must have worked it out no that year they did cups eh. and then i think exactly i think the reaction to the cups generally was eh and Can't so, wear a cup. Exactly. So 1904 was the first time you got gold, silver and bronze. Obviously, the most valuable is the gold, then the silver, then mm. the bronze. Um, there is another reason, though, uh, and I don't know what I think about this, but I'm not classically educated, so I'll run it by you and okay. you tell me. Mm. Uh, the metals designate, it says here on the web, the first three ages of man in Greek mythology. Oh, God. Uh, the golden age, when men lived amongst the gods. Mm-hmm. Uh, the silver age, where youth lasted a hundred years. Dream on. I can't imagine which of those I'd rather, living amongst gods or being young for a hundred years. Well, the gods were vile. 
Yeah, but, but if you were young for a hundred years, they would probably make sure because they're such arseholes, the Greek gods. They'd make sure you were that, that stage of youth where your voice wasn't properly broken and your skin was terrible and no one wanted to have sex with you. That's what they would do. Uh, uh, and the Bronze Age, the era of heroes. Eh? Yeah. Here's uh, an email about something totally different now from Charlie in Leighton Buzzard. Uh, and it's about the beginning of time Great uh, He says Or she says Charlie Don't know uh, In the beginning There was Adam and Eve Well According to sources Yes uh, They had two sons Cain and Abel So it goes Yeah Helen answered me this How did Cain and Abel Have babies If they were the only Two people on the planet the only people on the planet first of all adam and eve were there and i'm sorry to say it but the bible is a very dirty book <laughs> uh cain and abel and seth are the only ones of adam and eve's children who are actually named in the bible but genesis chapter 5 verse 4 says they had other sons and daughters oh, does it? Okay. so it's only bothered about cain and abel the first murderer and murder victim seth uh, from whom noah is descended and then just the random others so you can just take a guess that yeah. you know they just married one of their sisters actually so it's just focused on the stories that we're going to be interested in in future episodes basically apparently and again it's myth because the bible is a work of fiction adam lived for 930 years had a very healthy diet remember everything That's fresh true. fresh yeah. local organic some dried dinosaur meat that he found <laughs> like jerky um, so he had plenty of time to uh, dip his wick into many generations once they'd started oh i see so you know there was a, a bit of a mix so it would have widened the gene pool a bit Hardly. it's all variations on a theme though isn't it and it's a murky disgusting atonal theme <laughs> yeah. that's, that's not widening the gene pool if he's basically fucking his it's grandchildren it's varying great, great grandchildren. it's varying the genetic faults no maybe Adam and Eve like they lived a lot longer than the average adult today maybe they had a superlative number of genes rather than the same number that we have look at his children and how we've developed all in different colours and shapes and sizes Helen amazing obviously had a lot of different sperm in there but what's the alternative I mean I'm completely baffled by speciation but wasn't the first human being basically having sex with monkeys Yes. But then they would have been not that far from a monkey themselves. Yes, exactly. Of course, that they would the point. Exactly. They very they slightly more developed, and that took thousands of years, so then that's Millions why. of yeah. years, yeah. I mean, you look around, I think we all know people who are in relationships who are basically having sex with monkeys, don't we? <laughs> you why are you all... looking at Helen? <laughs> we, all, we all know people who we think, you know, maybe they're more developed in certain different ways than their partner. Maybe they've settled. Sometimes, exactly. <laughs> Sometimes people are more attracted to someone who, in some ways, maybe is inferior to them, but actually, for all we know, in other ways, isn't. Also, in the Garden of Eden, yeah. how did they pray? Because religion hadn't been invented yet, because they're in it. Well, everything they did in some way was either an act of worship to God or very naughty disobedient. But gonna... how do you worship God if there's no, there's no book? There's yeah, no, but... you know, you can't have Passover. You've well, you've got, got a direct connection yeah. to God, haven't you? Just go, hello, God. Hi, God. Well Remember done. me. He's Good in... work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's in your ear all Can the time. Can I fuck my granddaughter, please? Yeah. You may, but you cannot eat the fruit. <laughs> I know what's important. <laughs> Answer me this. He said I could return this pair of tights within 28 days without affecting my statutory rights. Didn't you? Now I'm staying up all night and I'm shaking and shivering with fright because you made me replace my living room lights claiming eco bulbs will be just as bright. Didn't you? And I only got this limited sight and now it's getting too dark to write so I, it's, I don't know, uh, something about Vietnam and Abraham and Steve Cram. Our next question is from Oscar and Bianca of London, who say, Ollie, answer me this. Is the castle at Disneyland, based on the castle in the opening of Disney films, 
or the other way round. And also, Ollie, answer me this. Who lives in the castle, please? Of course, oh. all the fairy princesses. Yeah, I don't know how old Oscar and Bianca are, but they sound like possibly they might be young people. So or, or I don't people who've received head injuries. Um, <laughs> so I don't want to shatter any illusions, but I think I've got to tell it straight, haven't I? Uh, no one lives in the castle because it is a tourist attraction that has an animatronic dragon in it. Oh, the dragon lives there? Well, yeah. that's right, yes, yes. A robotic dragon lives there, quite right. I've never been to Disneyland or World or any of the Disney attractions, but I would have imagined that the castle would contain maybe offices or administrative facilities. The clue's in the name. It's called Sleeping Beauty's Castle. Yeah. Therefore, Sleeping Beauty lives there. Um, although I think she might be suffering from Stockholm Syndrome because if you woke up after that many decades You'd being asleep... You'd get out, wouldn't you? you, would, you get think, some fresh air. You know, I've spent long enough in a castle. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and get myself a nice masonette in Edgware. Yeah. But it is confusing because in the logo on Walt Disney Pictures, yes. uh, to which uh, Oscar and Bianca refer, uh, in the cartoons rather than the, the films for families and mm-hmm. older audiences... You often see a little animated Tinkerbell, don't you? Spreading fairy dust on the castle. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's confusing vandal. the myth, because then it does look like the castle maybe is in Neverland rather than Disneyland. And yeah. why would Sleeping Beauty interact with Tinkerbell? They're from two different stories. They wouldn't get on. Tinkerbell's a real bitch to other girls. <laughs> uh, but I think the origin story went like this. Uh, Sleeping Beauty was one of the big Disney box office successes. Therefore, when they built Disneyland, they put Sleeping Beauty's castle at the centre of it. You have to remember that when Disneyland was built, not many Americans had been to Europe on cheap aeroplane pl- flights. So the idea of having a German-style castle in the middle of California was kind of cool. It is awesome. Yeah, they built a replica castle well, that then became the had- emblem of Disneyland, which then became the emblem of the studios, and then thus they put Tinkerbell on the studio thing as well. Here's a question of kissing from Luca from Malta, who says, "Helen, answer me this: Why do people close their eyes when they kiss? They're imagining someone else. Let's be honest; that's well, what it's about, really." Yes, that is what a lot of people <laughs> on the internet suggest as a reason. I can think of several reasons. One is that it's not a flattering angle of your partner as they loom that close towards you. You can't actually focus on their face. You're not getting a proper 3D image and you're getting their features yeah, magnified. Not a, if you're in a romantic relationship with someone, surely even in close-up you can find them attractive. Apparently I can't really some... fo- focus at that distance. If no. you're like uh, three inches away from someone's face, it's a bit Picasso. You see a little snippet. I happen to find Picasso portraits a major turn-on. Well, I don't ever want to go to art galleries with you, but <laughs> that was the case before I learned that too. Uh, but a lot of people do find it really disturbing to see people like their their large eyeball or their pores that close up or to see things distorted by the fact that you're not looking at uh, in stereoscopic vision Mm. Uh, another reason is it's polite you're focusing on your partner you're not distracted by things in the background Uh, maybe you're feeling a bit vulnerable because you're in an intimate situation and closing your eyes makes you feel reassured but I I think intrinsically what Luke is saying here is is maybe he's had relationships where people are closing their eyes when they kiss him and he doesn't agree with that and I, I can kind of relate to that I genuinely don't think my girlfriend is physically horrified by me um, but <laughs> she might have mentioned by now. Yeah. Or maybe she's just managed to get over it. But I do sometimes feel a bit insulted when we're kissing and she's got her eyes closed because I'm very much an eyes open kind of man. I wonder if there's a male-female divide on that. You know, much like with erotic literature, like we were talking about a few weeks before, I wonder if, if ladies aren't so bothered about the visual, but men actually generally prefer to have their eyes open. But it's not like you can sneak a glimpse of a lady's boobs while kissing her because her well, face is in the way. that's what you think. It all depends on the angle you see, Helen. Yeah, or if she's got two large mosquito bites on her cheek that you can pretend are boobs. <laughs> Hi, it's Beth and Martin from Lewis. Helen, Ollie and Martin the Sandman answer this. Why are curry houses so dark? It's not atmospheric, it's just annoying. You can't read the menu. She says it's not atmospheric, but I'm sure if they started floodlighting the curry house, you would realise how atmospheric the old gloom was. Yeah, I think that's right, yeah. I mean, if they're doing it so dark that you can't read the menu, then they've done it badly. Mm. But, you know, the notion that at night, at dinner time, 
uh, a place maybe slightly darker slightly it gives it more leisurely feel doesn't it more intimate personal feel I don't think the ethnicity of the restaurant is relevant I think it's the fact that you've gone there for dinner no actually I don't associate this particularly with curry houses no when you're drunk you're, you're quite sensitive to light aren't you yes so you actually want a slightly dimmer environment so it doesn't doesn't stab your beer out of the brain maybe they're being also kind because let's face it curry is a food stuff which you may well drip down your front and they might want to help you disguise this yeah and also they don't want you to see what you're eating do they that's the other thing they like mystery what of it (laughs) but actually if you are going to give an audience a taste of something they've never had before a feeling of being uh, transported to exotic climes then actually that's easier to do isn't it when uh, it's a bit darker and you, you're not aware that actually you are sitting in Woolwich or whatever. Oh, that's a good point. Take yeah. your own candle if there's a problem with reading the menu, Beth, or one of those little book lights that you hook over the top. What about those things you strap onto your head and oh, like, yes. um, like a little miner's lamp? Those can be very nice when you're on a date. So you can stare into your lover's eyes and blind them <laughs> with your beam. If pubs are too bright, I find that very weird, even in the day, mm. because you want this sort of sense of permanent dusk in a pub. And there's, there's one in Crystal Palace that's very salubrious, but it's bright white and that is wrong. Because a pub, you should feel slightly oppressed. Mm. Or like it's hugging you, hugging you with booze. I think it should be a bit whim-like, but smell a beer. But people complain, don't they, about shops like Hollister, that they're too dark. And yet the, kid, the kids weird. love it. What Hollister is Hollister? So what is it? It's like Abercrombie and Fitch. It's owned by Abercrombie and Fitch. Right. And it's the same thing in that they sell vastly overpriced surfing and casual wear. Kind of Oxford Union type classic look inside, but it's very dark. And then right. they have topless male models standing outside who look like surfers. And then it's designed so that basically you get lost in it. Oh. Is it just so at some point you go, yeah, I'll not buy the chairs, just let me go. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't know. But it is, it's an absolute death trap if they have a fire there. Good shop psychology. Which is weird, isn't it? Bravo to them. Then they do have these odd sitting areas that you kind of discover. You know, they're kind of round corners and stuff. And there's a big pile of like Esquire magazines and stuff. Uh, big but you can't read seats. them because it's too dark. <laughs> you might be sitting on an armchair. You might be sitting on the bodies of one of the fallen that couldn't find their way out. <laughs> Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Answer Me This podcast. Today's podcast will be lasting approximately 28 to 30 minutes. We may encounter some patches of bad banter. Please keep your headphones on as these usually subside. Thanks for flying. Answer Me This podcast. Here's a question from Nick from Orpington who says, My dad used to work in Ipswich. One evening, he received a phone call from a representative of Channel 4 News who first asked if he could confirm his name as Stephen Wright. To, oh. to which he replied in the affirmative. They then asked if he was the Stephen Wright who had just been arrested for the murder of several prostitutes. Bit of impressive undercover journalism there from Channel 4 News. <laughs> Overlooking the obvious, i.e. that they had called him at home whilst the suspect was in custody, mm. my dad answered in the negative. After asking again if he was sure... Oh, oh they're really God. trying to trick him, aren't they, these journalists? <laughs> he was warned that he would most probably be getting more calls from the press that evening. What followed was probably one of the most surreal evenings of his life, as he was called by the BBC, ITN and The Mail, all asking him if he'd been up to any prostitute murder in the last few months. And had any slipped his mind since the last statement he made on the subject <laughs> two minutes Are before. Are you sure? <laughs> so, Ollie, answer me this. What is the most weird thing you've ever been accused of? Um, I was confused for someone who was in a Boots advert. Wow! Yeah, it's not prostitute murdering, is it? There's usually women in Boots adverts. Yeah, I know. Uh, I didn't, I'd never seen the advert that they were referring to, but I was on holiday with my family and someone came up, this was in Turkey, and someone came up to me in Marmaris and said, you, you're on the telly, aren't you? 
And I never know what to say when people say that because, yes, I am on the telly, but I'm on telly very late at night, very early in the morning as a guest, <laughs> and they probably haven't confused me for someone they know. Nonetheless, you start reaching for your Sharpie to autograph their breasts. <laughs> um, so I didn't want to say, yes, you've seen me on Eamon Holmes's knee for 30 seconds. So, so I said, um, uh, well, I, I don't know. What, what do you think you've seen me in, is what I said. And she said, uh, you're in the Boots advert. Yeah, you're in the... Doris, he's in the Boots advert. And she called over her family to come and meet me because I was in the Boots advert. And I said, no, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not in the Boots advert and she wouldn't have it for That's me. what a real celebrity would say because exactly. you're here undercover yeah, aren't yeah, you? Yeah. Probably doing some research for your next Boots character. <laughs> Someone who's been to Turkey so they need some after sun isn't it? Yeah, That's who you're playing. Maybe. maybe. Um, How eccentric. And- a friend of mine Ellis James who is a comedian is currently being mistaken for two people. One of them is E.L. James the author of Fifty Shades of Grey. Right. The other person he keeps being confused when he's got some quite uh, ripe tweets from people mm. um, is somebody who allegedly was sleeping with Harry Styles from One Direction. Right. Who has another name that sounds, sounds a bit a like... Sounds a bit like Ellis James. Yeah. And has he been capitalising on it? Has he added these people to his mailing list? Oh, I should hope so. I should hope so too. <laughs> I hope he's got lots of new followers on Twitter, but they do seem to be quite negative, uh, the uh, people that want Harry Styles for themselves. Yes. Did you see the most ridiculous news story of last weekend? <laughs> Which was that um, some scientist has said that because in studying teenage girls who are looking at pictures of Justin Bieber, they found an example of dopamine in their brain at a greater level than they would be otherwise, mm. that therefore there is actually like some sort of scientific reaction to seeing Justin Bieber's oh, yeah. face, as opposed to this just being adolescent girls getting their Chinese tickled. But then, but then, if that were the case, why have they not prescribed my dad pictures of Justin Bieber <laughs> exactly. for Parkinson's, which is when your dopamine drops below certain levels? Do, doesn't surely Bieberism causes Parkinson's if you use up all of your dopamine <laughs> as a Maybe, teenage girl? Yeah, yeah well, that's, that's what he should do. He should do a long-range study amongst the believers to mm. see whether in 20, 30, 40, 50 years mm. there's a higher instance of Parkinson's mm. amongst them. Maybe perhaps we could do like a mass bonfire of Bieber <laughs> sacrificing <laughs> to stop Parkinson's. Well, anyway, uh, listeners, if you've ever been falsely accused of something, preferably not something quite as dark as what uh, Nick from Orpington's <laughs> tap was being yeah. accused of, then uh, please do get in touch and tell us. And also, of course, uh, get in touch with your questions via email, Skype and phone, all of which uh, contact details are listed on our website. Answermethispodcast.com Which is also where you can find the link to our Sports Day album. One hour of all new stuff, all about sport and some of it not really about sport. Um, you know how we work by now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Bye! Bye.